a really good program today where we have tried to look at all sides uh, and try to give you a, a way to understand the news. There's a couple of them. One with Senator Ron Johnson. Um, he he went after the political uh, mess that caused Waukesha. Then he also teamed with his other senator from his state, who is a uh, Democrat, and they called for peace. Well, Jason Whitlock, among many others, hammered him for it. He's on, and I think you're going to feel really good about the conclusion of all of this. Also, big day for abortion. Yeah, Tate Reeves, the governor of Mississippi, joins us to talk about the case. It's, of course, a Mississippi law that's going in front of the Supreme Court starting today. We talk about that. We're going to follow up on that conversation on Studios America tonight. Glenn and myself talking about political ramifications, what happens with chaos in the streets and all of the... Uh, unrest if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Uh, there's a lot to think about on this one. We'll go into that on Studios America and right after that, a brand new Glenn TV. Yeah, Glenn TV tonight um, really gets to the five steps of revolution uh, that the left has been working on for a long time and the role of the media who has now doubled down. They are a clear and present danger to the republic. All that and more, blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Fauci Lied and uh, you'll save 25% off. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well. Just click subscribe, check it out, rate and review, as well as Stu Does America, available every day. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. First leading cause of death in America is heart disease. Kills 659,041 people every year in the United States. The third is cancer, killing 599,601. What is the second leading cause of death? You're not going to be able to find this if you look it up because... Apparently, we don't categorize abortion as deaths. But if we recognized abortions as the death of a human being, a baby, it would be the second leading cause of death in the U.S. One in four, 24% of women will have an abortion by the age of 45. Over 60 million babies have been killed since Roe versus Wade. <sighs> Today, in the Supreme Court, they begin hearing the arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson. That's Jackson's Women's Health Organization. Lynn Fitch, who is leading the state's argument, said, with this brief, we're simply asking the court to affirm the right of the people to protect their legitimate interest and to provide clarity on how they may do so. So you have uh, Thomas Dobbs. He's an MD. He's the, uh, the Mississippi State Health Officer and Petitioner to the U.S. Supreme Court. Jackson, William, uh, Jackson w- Woman's Health Organization, the only abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi, and the first female attorney general, in Mississippi, Lynn Fitch. 
she's representing the state of Mississippi. The oral arguments begin today. We're expecting the court to tell us uh, whether they're going to return this to the state or they're going to let Roe versus Wade stand as is probably sometime this summer, right in the middle of the midterm elections. Going to be interesting. There's also a big middle ground there where they could come up with something in between those two points where perhaps they allow states to regulate it more, but not all the way to the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Correct. Um, Roe versus Wade is all about, and so is this, it's all about viability. Roe versus Wade doesn't really define viability. And viability is different. In Roe versus Wade, it was 28 weeks. Now we're at 20 weeks. So where is that line now? It doesn't define it. Never made any sense. Never Ob- made Obviously, any. right? I Correct. mean, if something can change with technology, then in that, how can that be a constitutional right? Right? Like, it, it's such a bizarre Correct. construction. And obviously, the Constitution does not allow or provide this sort of quote-unquote right inside. So this is what this is what the state of Mississippi is saying. Roe, uh, Roe and Casey shackle states to a view of the facts that are decades out of date. It's time for the court to set it right and return the political debate to the political branches of government. So the they want the court to clarify whether abortion is actually constitutionally protected. Obviously, they're saying it's not constitutionally protected. You don't have a right to kill a baby. Nothing in text, structure, history, or tradition makes abortion a fundamental right or denies state the power to restrict it. That power is reserved to the states. If you, if you killed a child in utero after what was called the quickening, you could be held for murder in you know, early All America and before Everywhere. that in, in Britain and everything right. else in England. Once you knew that it was a baby and the baby was moving, you would be charged with murder if you did anything to kill it. And coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, it's about 15 weeks. Right. Right. So that's the Mississippi law is Correct. 15 weeks. So the state of Mississippi is arguing the decisions about abortion are policy matters that should be decided by the people and not locked behind the doors of an unelected judiciary. She argues that the state has a legitimate interest in protecting the lives of the unborn, the health of women, and the integrity of the medical profession. So they're not asking for an overturn. When they say, this is going to overturn Roe versus Wade. No, it won't. It, It won't in California. It won't in New York. It will overturn Roe versus Wade. In theory, it could. Um, however, the states can just do it on their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to overturn abortion. Right. It's not going to overturn abortion. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you this. The Democrats are now saying um, that uh, this is a point of revolution for them. Mm. That the Democrats will fight in open revolution if this happens now i don't know why that isn't being investigated by the fbi yeah <laughs> but i could say the same thing would be true on the right 
if the federal government said we are going to go house to house collecting all of the guns, there would be a revolution in this country from the right. Correct. For, I mean, if they were going door, door to door. Yeah, I, mean, door I to can't door. imagine that. Would I go can't. Well. Right. And but I can't imagine that the people on the right would say it's revolution if the state, if the Supreme Court said uh, states can do whatever they want. You can have guns, not have guns. The states can do whatever they want. It still would be wrong. But people in Texas would say, move the hell down here. Get, we've been telling you for a while to get out of New York and get out of California. Move to a free place. That's what would happen. And I don't believe that a revolution would actually happen if it was left to the states and the federal government back off, back off. Now, I could be wrong on that, but this is something that they are saying if it's left even to the states, because, again, they're misrepresenting this. The media is lying to you again. The left is lying to you again. This is not an end to all abortion. It is saying, let the voters of each state decide. That's not good enough. Now, in 1972, things were um, a little different. Things have changed. We can literally watch babies grow in the womb now. We have found out that they do feel pain thanks to medical advancements. We didn't know that when Roe versus Wade was happening. I mean, I mean come on. <laughs> I, they, we didn't. We, we didn't weren't able it. to prove it. Right. Yes, that's a better way of yes, saying it. We yes, we weren't able to prove it. When it was enacted, the idea also of a working mother was still seen as far-fetched. The core argument back then, when it was first debated in the Supreme Court, is that abortion was necessary for women to achieve success. Now, this, you know, uh, this idea uh, predicates off a of, of sneaky misogynist argument peddled by feminists. That argues if women want to be successful, they need to overcome their womanhood uh, and be more like men. That's ridiculous. The argument that abortion is necessary for women's success is a quintessential outdated argument. It assumes that a motherhood in and of itself is not success. B mothers are unable to contribute in society in meaningful ways. Three that women without children contribute more to society and this is usually justified by discussions of how mothers earn less in the workforce which reduces success to only financial success this has changed we don't have the same country that we had in 1973 and i know the left and the media would like to say i know we don't we have one that's more like 1956 but we don't. We don't. Now, the counter arguments to this gate uh, to this case is and I love this one. It's Supreme Court precedent. It's settled law. Oh, OK. All right. In fact, the Center for Reproductive Rights, the CEO, said the Supreme Court just agreed to review an abortion ban that unquestionably violates nearly 50 years of Supreme Court precedent. Precedent doesn't mean that it's right. And you'd know that if you knew Plessy versus Ferguson. 
Plessy versus Ferguson is the separate but equal Supreme Court precedent from 1896 until 1954. That was 58 years. So just because the court said it once doesn't make it right. And things change. So what's going to happen? Well, the Dobbs case actually has a real shot of returning abortion decision-making power to the states. We know more about the development of babies. We have disproved that women need to abort children to have any kind of success. And there has never, ever, ever been and still isn't a sound constitutional argument to back up Roe versus Wade or Casey. In asking for a clarification... Dobbs will push the Supreme Court to review the constitutionality of how the judiciary is protecting abortion. A push pro-choice advocates are very afraid of because they know, as far as the Constitution goes, they don't have a leg to stand on. That's what this is all going to decide. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. We have Senator Ron Johnson, the U.S. Senator, uh, Republican from Wisconsin. Uh, We want to talk to him about the Waukesha Christmas massacre. Uh, Senator, I, you know, it's bothered me so much that the White House keeps saying our hearts are with the people of Waukesha. um, Although our thoughts and prayers are not good enough for them most of the time. But um, the White House is correct. uh, And so are we. Our hearts and our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Waukesha. Horrible, horrible tragedy. Well, I appreciate that. What I can report from Waukesha is the healing has begun. Um, It it began literally the moment of the tragedy, as you saw uh, the citizens of of Waukesha respond with just, you know, compassion, uh, integrity, as they were dealing with the victims, uh, just the, again, I, I'm just, I'm haunted. And I wasn't there. I'm haunted by the thought of little children on, on the curb waiting to see Santa Claus and, and the dancing grannies mm. instead of seeing the slaughter. So it's going to take an awful lot of time to heal. But the very next night they held a interfaith prayer ver- a vigil. Uh, I think it's probably over a thousand people that showed up. Um, I was able to attend and just talk to members of the community, the, the first responders. I mean, it was it, it, I'll never forget it. Um, sorrowful and yet hopeful, I guess, because you know, so, so often, Glenn, you know, this is in in the midst of uh, one of these horrific events that caused by the worst in humanity. The, the best of humanity is often revealed, and you know, I'm, I think we witness that again right away in Waukesha. And as as the city continues to heal, I think we'll continue to see that. So they'll recover. But I know they, they truly appreciate the thoughts and prayers. Uh, I know they're they're appreciating the financial support, the community foundation. I think if they've been, uh, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but I think they, they're incredibly uh, appreciative of, of all the thoughts and prayers and all the financial assistance coming in to, to help people that, uh, you know, the grievously injured, that we still have uh, uh, three children in critical condition, uh, a number of the other adults in critical condition as well. So this is going to be a long, long road. 
uh, to recovery. All right. Let me let me take you through a timeline here. Um, you first slam Democratic officials uh, following the Christmas parade over the weekend. Um, you said when you look the other way, when you almost encourage lawlessness, I would drop the word almost just like let's face it. You have political figures doing during the summer uh, riots of 2020, encouraging people to donate to the bail fund so you can bail these people out. When you encourage lawlessness, you're going to get more of it. Uh, It becomes more and more violent. It starts spilling over from crime ridden, generally Democratic governed cities into surrounding areas. That's probably what we witnessed here in Waukesha. You started to get all kinds of heat from the left on that. Do you still stand by those words? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm outraged by what happened because it never should have happened, Glenn. It never should have happened. This, the accused, now call him the accused, um, he never should have been out on the street. But it's the, the catch and release, not only at the southern border, but we have catch and release within our criminal justice system. And you've got the left pushing either low bail or no bail. And then again, you had you know, the, the, the current vice president after the Minneapolis riots encouraging people to donate to a bail fund, to bail the rioters out. You have the press looking the other way as during the 570-plus riots during the summer instead of all the focuses on on January 6th, as much as I condemn that. Now, I'm also condemning the violence, the the 2,000 law enforcement officers who were injured during those summer riots, the couple dozen people killed during those, the the $2 billion of the property damage. We're all supposed to look away from that. But we focus instead on you know when there may be a perpetrator that uh, comes more from the right side of the the political spectrum so no i'm 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 outraged by all of this but i am outraged for the citizens for the community of waukesha that are suffering when they shouldn't have had to this this never should have happened And, and we've got to call it out you know part of the healing process part of the due process is to examine why is this guy in the street why was he able to commit this evil heinous act what why and then correct it so it's, it's that's going to be part of the process so go ahead so help me out because just a few days uh later um you come out with a statement with tammy baldwin who is your uh cohort there in in um congress she's the democrat uh senator from wisconsin And you write this. It has come to our attention that outside individuals or groups may attempt to exploit the tragedy that occurred last Sunday in Waukesha for their own political purposes. As the U.S. senators representing Wisconsin, one from each political party, we are asking everyone to consider such action to cease and desist. We have full confidence in the local officials who responded with extraordinary professionalism, competence, integrity, and compassion. They have many difficult duties to perform in the coming days, weeks, and months, and they should be afforded the respect and support they deserve to undertake their responsibilities without outside uh, interference. You go on for a, a couple of more paragraphs, but it's basically the same thing. Um, how what's angering some people on both sides is you just made it political by saying what you just said. And now you're saying, don't make it political. Well, how is this not a political issue? So I guess you have to read carefully what I said. I was trying to head off the past action that could result in uh, potential violence again in Waukesha. So, you know, I, I had received from the people I'd, spoken to on monday i get a call that friday that they they are concerned that groups from both sides were going to descend on waukesha 
to protest or whatever, and they were concerned of a clash and maybe more violence. And so all I was reacting to it, then they asked me, is it, can I do anything to help? I said, well, I could issue a statement. I could try and get uh, Senator Baldwin on it on a bipartisan basis. Just ask people, please don't do that. Now, we weren't specific. You know, I, I didn't want to give anybody ideas. This was just something that may have been planning. We were just trying to head something off of the past. But I was talking about action. I was talking about potential violence. This is obviously a political situation. And, and I, by the way, I share, I, so yeah, I'm getting a lot of criticism from the right. I basically agree with them 99% in terms of what they're talking about, because I, I am outraged by the fact that the left wouldn't stop talking about, for example, Charlottesville. They won't stop talking about January 6th. But you don't hear much about the assault on the Republican members of Congress on the baseball field. You, you, I, I don't think Waukesha is really much on anybody's front page other than in right-wing media now. So trust me, I, you know, both of us are recipients of grossly unfair coverage by the left, the left-wing media, the distortions, the lies, the false narratives. So no, I, I'm not happy with it at all. I think I blame the press for some, so much of our divisiveness in this country. They exacerbate it. They, they're the ones that light the fuse. So I completely agree with even, even people crit, criticizing me. I understand why they criticize me and I agree with them. But again, they're just getting it wrong that I, that I was, inferring that don't make this political it is political Th this occurred because of political decisions on no and low bail that need to be protected or, or, or corrected but they need to be called out so again I, I think what i my statement was misconstrued again they didn't understand the backstory they didn't understand i was responding to requests to help to try and head something off of the past we didn't want to see more violence again i'm i'm, I'm talking to people who had to to help pick up dead bodies off the pavement. They, they, they had enough to deal with. They didn't need to deal with additional protesters and people taking advantage of the situation, uh, physical presence potentially resulting in violence. That coming, in from, coming in from other parts of the country, too. Usually these protesters right. are, are bust Outside. in. Um, so what do we do uh, about this? What can be done? I mean, the the... The media is truly, truly responsible. The best example, uh, counterexample of this is what happened in Charlottesville. That story, everybody knows. Donald Trump was the, took the brunt of that one because basically he said kind of the same thing. He was saying there's good people on both sides. I condemn those who do the violence, uh, but let's not, let's not you know, bunch everybody into this together. He was, he was saying, let's look at this rationally. The press wouldn't do it. You're saying, just give me, just, we have to talk about politics, but let's be rational on the ground. Let's not do anything that calls BLM in or, you know, any white supremacist group in. Correct? Yeah, right. I, I just didn't want to see physical physical presence that could result in violence. Okay. But no, the, the political discussion has to take care or take place. And th there's no doubt about it. The, the, the media, the, the bulk of the mainstream media, the social media, they are far left. Now, fortunately, we still have freedom of the press. So you know, we've got you. you know, we've got the blaze. We've got other conservative outlets. So we have freedom of the press, but we are by and large overwhelmed by the left press in the mainstream media it, it's a huge disadvantage that we have, so we've got to work harder. We've got to work smarter. Uh, we do need to remain unified as much as possible. 
Uh, I think that would also be helpful. Uh, Senator uh, Ron Johnson, um, thank you. I, you know, it's, it is um, becoming increasingly difficult um, to be able to hold people together when we are absolutists. You are either absolutely my enemy or you're absolutely my friend. And uh, one, one issue or one disagreement on approach uh, changes everything. And that, that, that won't work. That just won't work. We, we have to be able to um, have some reason if we're going to be able to stick together. No, it's, it's, it's a losing strategy. It's just a losing strategy. You, you, you need to, you know, we need to cling to our first principles. We, we need to understand what do we agree on. And, you know, from the right, you know, we all agree on. I think this was Donald Trump's greatest achievement. He assembled a coalition of people that fervently love this country. And in addition, they recognize what made it great. Not big government, individual liberty and freedom. We are operating within a free market system that allows them to dream and aspire and build and create. That's the coalition that we need to keep together. And yeah, we're going to have our differences. You may not agree with every, everything everybody says or how they write something, but we need to focus on what we are trying to accomplish. We're trying to save this country because the left is destroying it. So you, again, you, you know, some people may not like the way I issued that statement on a bipartisan basis, but I, I, and I would do it again because it's the right thing to do. If, if there's no, there's no rioting yet in, in, in Waukesha, and that's a good thing. Maybe I helped prevent that. I don't know, but it was worth doing. It was worth trying to help. But at the same time, we have to recognize the left is destroying this country. They are our political point opponents. We need to focus on them. We need to exert our energy to defeating them. And when I say defeat, I mean sweep them from power at the national level, at the state, and at the local level, primarily at the local level. And we, we've allowed radical leftists to take over our school boards, which is why they're teaching critical race theory. We took our eye off the ball, focusing everything on the federal government. Uh, we need to focus and be as relentless as the left is in preserving our freedom as they are in taking away from us. Thank you very much, uh, Senator Ron Johnson. I appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. You bet. God bless. Uh, by the way, I believe, I'm not sure if it's up on the website yet. Do we know if his, he wrote an op-ed and, um, and Jason Whitlock disagrees with him. He's going to be on with us in about an hour. Um, hopefully Jason was listening to this uh, and he's going to respond, uh, but he's already written an op-ed that was placed on the blaze. And so the senator asked for the same opportunity and we're giving him that opportunity uh, on the blaze. You'll be able to find it at blaze.com. Back in just a second. The best of the Glenn Beck program. From Mississippi, the uh, governor, uh, Tate Reeves, is joining us now. Oral arguments begin today on Dobbs versus Jackson, and he is here to tell us all about it. Governor, how are you, sir? Good morning, Glenn. I'm doing great today. I hope you are as well. Uh, I am. I am. It's a good day. I'm actually, um, I'm actually very optimistic about the chances of this case after talking to your really great attorney general, the first woman attorney general uh, in Mississippi's history, Lynn Finch, uh, Fitch. 
Yeah, today is a today is a day that many of us in the pro-life movement have been uh, waiting for for a long time. In fact, some even longer than than I have been alive. The, yeah. The, the Roe v. Wade was decided, uh, the, the decision came down in January of 1973. And so for almost 50 years, uh, Roe has been the, the precedent that was set. Uh, but many of us, uh, and I'm, I presume most of your listeners, just really believe that it was decided wrongly uh, back in 1973. And then you also have the, the Casey case that occurred in, in 1992, which really helped establish the viability uh, provision and and we believe that was wrongly decided as well. If you read the Constitution, and I've read it, uh, there is no guaranteed right to an abortion in the United States Constitution. In right. fact, not only is there not a guaranteed right, there's also nothing in the U.S. Constitution that prevents states like Mississippi and and others uh, from put placing reasonable limits on on those abortions. And the case that's before the court today certainly places. Uh, reasonable limits. So uh, that that's the thing. Reasonable limits. We are so far beyond reason. The the two countries that have zero uh, uh, zero laws on the books to stop people from abortion. You can abort a baby, you know, while giving birth. Uh, it's China and North Korea, and we are right there at that doorstep. Um, we are way out of line, and this isn't an overturning of all abortion this was i mean you were the speaker of the mississippi senate if i'm not mistaken and you brought the heartbeat uh bill uh and got that passed so this is not it will take me through that from the beginning and how we got here yeah yeah no no question and, and i think your point is so important because uh, those in the abortion on demand crowd try to convince the american public that uh, that the the abortion laws in the U.S. are mainstream across the world, and they're just simply they're not. not. As you correctly pointed out, the laws in California and New York with respect to abortions are more similar to China and North Korea than they are any other country around the world. In right. fact, in there are 42 countries in Europe, Glenn, that allow for elective abortions. If this Mississippi law is upheld, then there will still be 39 countries in Europe that have more restrictive abortion laws mm. than Mississippi, which I think is one, one of, if not the most conservative states in the United States. And so this law just gets, uh, gets our state to a point where we are more in line with mainstream countries around the world my goal ultimately would be i'd love to see the court overthrow roe v wade that's because right. there is because it was wrongly ruled but they don't have to do that to allow this ban to go into effect and that would ultimately save lives and that's what we've been trying to do for many years is is find ways in which to um to pass restrictions that save babies lives so you are but i want to make sure that people understand that if this goes you're, you're not arguing to ban all abortions in america you're saying leave it to the states to decide leave get it out of the court system leave it to the people to decide this so california would probably end up doing more abortions new york would end up doing more abortions but you would do far less 
if any? Well, we believe that that's the um, that's what the United States Constitution um, contemplates is it is the 50 labs of democracy in the states that that should be making these decisions. There's no guaranteed constitutional right to an abortion in the U.S. Constitution. Um, And and our, our founding fathers were very, very tactical and very intelligent in in saying that anything that the Constitution doesn't give explicit authority to the feds on should be decided in the individual states. And so, uh, no, we're not, we're not asking the court to outlaw abortions. We're just simply asking the court to recognize that it's the individual states that should have the opportunity to set their policies based upon the will of the people in those individual states. So the left loves to scream, my body, my choice, not when it comes to vaccines. Um, what is the difference here between these two? Why can't, why, 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 why is it my body, my choice in one regard and not with vaccines? And, and that's, a, that's a great question and it's a fair question. Here's what we've learned with respect to the vaccines. Even Dr. Fauci admitted on Sunday that the vaccines are pretty effective, are very effective at keeping you from becoming hospitalized and from having a severe case. However, uh, what we have learned as more and more data comes out is there's, there's certainly um, individuals that are vaccinated that are, are contracting the virus and there are those who are vaccinated that are spreading the virus. And so the vaccine, in my opinion, is exceptionally uh, helpful in, in reducing the severity of your case, but that gives you as an individual the ability to make your own decisions as to what's best for you and your family. Mm -hmm. Conversely, with respect to abortions, and this is where the left just completely gets it wrong. They want to scream, my body, my choice, and completely ignore the fact that there is an additional unborn child in that womb that they are aborting and ultimately killing. And so that is where the distinction lies is an abortion is, is in my view, by definition, uh, the killing of an innocent, unborn child. And that's when it's no longer just about your body. It's about the body of that unborn child. And it's why, Glenn, it's so important that, that people like me and people like Attorney General Fitch and, and other like-minded pro-life people around America stand up for that unborn child because they don't have the ability to stand up for themselves. You know, it's interesting. The um, uh, the founders really addressed this. I was shocked when I found this out. We have we have these debates in our Mercury historic vaults. Um, the founders talked about abortion uh, and but they didn't do it on a federal level. They did it on a local level. Uh, and uh, the uh, the argument was when you know it's a child, the quickening is what they called it. When you know the baby has moved and you know it's a child, you will then be causing murder. But if you don't know that and the quickening hasn't happened and something happens, then you're okay. Um, But that was, again, for a local and state issue, not a constitutional issue. And they were very well aware of it back then. Well, there's there's no doubt, and, and, and the, the important point here is, here's another um, example of where the, the left uh, really um, is uh, 
chooses to ignore the facts. They love to scream about following the science. And, but when it comes to abortion policies, they completely ignore the science. And the fact is, since Casey was decided in 1992, the science has changed. Yes. Since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, the science has certainly changed. And the reason it has changed, when Roe was decided, we did not have sonograms. When Roe was decided, we did not have ultrasounds. And every single time the technology gets better, the more the science comes down on the side of protecting unborn children. Here's what we know about a child at 15 weeks. We know that that child has a heartbeat. We know that that child is pumping multiple quarts of blood each day. We know that the baby is developing its lungs. We know that the baby can move. We know that the baby can take its fingers and hand and, and open and close it. And most importantly, perhaps, Glenn, we know that that baby can feel pain. And because of that, we believe that um, that we have a, a obligation to protect that unborn child. How do you think Supreme Court's going to rule on this case? You know, because the left is saying, oh, there are, this is practically a complete uh, religious zealot, uh, rightist court. No, it's, no, it's not. I mean, I don't count on all, you know, not necessarily counting on John Roberts, uh, you know, uh, actually voting for this. Um, what do you think? What, what are the odds? Do you think? Well, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic that, that the, uh, justices on the Supreme court are, are going to, um, stay away from from any uh, political considerations because that's not the role of the court. That is the role of the legislative branch of government, and that's the role of the executive branch of government is to recognize public opinion and make decisions accordingly. Um, but the the judicial branch's job is to is to read and interpret the Constitution, and I think a simple reading of the U.S. Constitution uh, shows you that there is no guaranteed right to an abortion in that document. And there is nothing in that document that prevents the states from passing their own laws. In fact, that is really one of the fundamental principles that this country was founded upon, is that I anything that is not specifically delineated for the role of the federal government is to be handled by the states. Correct. And so I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic for that reason. Um, and I know that there have been literally millions and millions and millions of Americans praying uh, for, um, for our legal counsel, who is literally, as we speak, making these arguments before the court. Um, mm. and, and I hope that that will continue uh, in the coming days and weeks before the decision is handed down. And we think it'll be months, obviously, before... We ultimately get a decision. Yeah, probably in uh, probably in July. Perfect for the midterms. Uh, <laughs> Governor, thank you for everything that you've done for life uh, and uh, everything the state is going through uh, right now. It, it is probably the most important thing that we can do if we don't get ourselves on the right side of history on pretty big things like this. Uh, you know, we we are going to have a tough fight on everything else. Thank you so much, Governor. Thank you so much for having me on, Glenn. Have a great day. You too. Governor Tate Reeves from Mississippi. You might want to say a prayer uh, now for the legal team. They are
in the uh, Supreme Court right now doing oral arguments. Um, and this could be a big one. This could be a big one. Na, 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 na.